Welcome to the Directors UK podcast. We're the professional association for UK film and TV directors. No matter the format, no matter the genre, our featured directors share their approach to the craft. We hope you enjoy. Can we have a very big welcome for Alfonso Cuaron and Greta Gerwig? Thank you. Well, uh, I'm so excited to have this conversation. And I'm very, um, thank you for being here and thank you so much for doing and this. All of these are directors. Well, mo- not all of these, but uh, there, we have a lot of directors, a lot of people who doesn't know how to change a light bulb. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Uh, Which might be the same people, you know. <laughs> yeah, you never know. It, it, it might. I'm so happy to have this conversation because um, first time I heard about Barbie, uh, we were having dinner, like, uh, you know, we're meeting, like, a, uh, I don't know, a couple of years ago, or... or yeah, gosh, I think that was... Well, we, we, we had a dinner in the middle when I was beginning to shoot it, I think. No, before that, you before were writing. That. You, we you, were writing, You were yes, writing. We were and, writing. And you said you were going to do Barbie. And I had to say that, no offense to Warner Brothers or to David Heyman, the producer, uh... But I thought that it was the worst idea in planet Earth, and it sounded like the typical producer studio package kind of thing. And, uh, and I was like, ouch, why? But the, the, the weirdest thing was your reaction. You were like so excited about it. And, and you started telling me sort of the concept that sounded weird enough. And... Um, <laughs> And you seem to be having fun with it. Yes, yes, that's right. I, I think that was kind of... I, I mean, I will say my, my co-writer and um, creator, Noah Baumbach, he had the same reaction when I said, I would like to write um, Barbie and I'd like you to do it with me. He was... He didn't... He thought, what? That's, te- that's a dreadful idea. We should not do that. Um, but I had been invited to... To come on board by Margot Robbie, and she said, I, you know, would, would you like to write this script? And then she was just writing the script. And then um, Noah at first thought, no, I don't want to... He, he kind of... I, I don't, he just he had a visceral negative reaction. Um, and then... And then... Um, I kind of started noodling on some ideas and then I brought him some of my noodles and then he was laughing and then he noodled and then I laughed and then we kind of just started writing something that was outrageous and we were writing, gosh, we were writing in the middle of, we started really writing it in March of 2020 and we wrote through the summer and fall and that was like in the middle of real lockdown. And so we did, there were no movies at that point and there was nothing, it was like the whole world had ceased to exist. It was, it was like our favorite thing to do we couldn't do, which was go to the movie, you know, everything was gone. And, um, and then we started writing this just banana script and, um, and then we loved it. And then we thought, they'll never let us make this. It's so strange. And then it was almost like, well, let's make it the most amazing thing that never gets made. That was kind of the the thing. Uh, you know, it's like, if they make it, well, how wonderful, but let's make it, let's just put everything in that we ever want to do. And then, you know, it 
it, it felt sort of like every step of the way when they said yes, it felt like a sort of a miracle. And then, um, you know, I started gathering people. And then I, at that point, I decided I wanted to direct it. But it was, um, it was. Oh, I think a lot of people had that kind of like, what? what? No, but Why? the thing is, also, you said, and I wish there was a, a hidden camera there when you were writing because you said that you were playing roles with Noah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, we would. Um, that's one of the. I, I. You know, we've written together. We've written alone, but when we write together, we read the script out loud all the time, and we'd play. We'd each take parts and play sequences, and you play Ken. He, I yes, he, play, he played many roles. He was also played Barbie. You know, he's he's done all of it. So, and we we that became like you know as sometimes people would say, is this funny? And then we'd be like, well, we'll do it for you. And then we'd do it for them. And they were sort of like, well, I, I guess that's, that's something. But, um, <laughs> but it, was, uh, it was, it's kind of, I think because we are so, I mean, we like, we like things said as we wrote them and the kind of rhythm of the thing and the comedy of the thing is so in the language that um, once you have a, a draft for us reading it out loud again and again becomes the way you can just tell when it's dipping out or it's like you get bored or you make a joke like sometimes we'll do joke runs and then you're like you don't need five versions of the same joke you can just do one you know um but that's kind of um kind of hearing it out loud is the way i start to see it really well but then if you were invited to write it. You start writing it with Noah. And what, do, do you remember what was that moment? Uh, and I think all directors, they have that when they either they, when they write their own material or when they uh, read material that they want to direct, that there's a moment. There's like, a, I call it the seed. the seed. You know, it's the seed of that moment that when everything makes sense, not as a writer, Yeah. But as a film, as a filmmaker, as a director, when was that moment? Mm. Um, I guess when I started seeing it, um, it's funny because I've never actually directed something I haven't written. So I've definitely had that feeling of when I'm adapted something, uh, adapted Little Women, and I had a moment when I realized how I wanted to do it, and there was like, ah, oh, that's it. That's how I want to do it. Um, But this one, um, I think I think of it, I guess maybe I'm, this is a roundabout way. There were two moments. I think the first moment was um, I, I wrote a scene that's not in the movie, but it was, it was a very surreal scene between, um, I guess this is just depressing, I'm sorry, but it, 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 was, it was between, it was in a hospital room between Barbie and a woman who was dying. And it was this it was a strange scene, and I didn't know where to put it, but there was something about it that I was like, is she hallucinating? What is this scene? But it felt strange enough that I was like, that could be something. That could, something's there. Something's behind it. So that was the first moment in writing. And then in the direct, I guess it's almost the same answer. In the directing, It was a, it was like when I started imagining sort of like the movie as a whirly gig or like a, 
uh, I don't know, those machines where everything leads to everything else. Honestly, I'm thinking about the beginning of Pee-wee's Playhouse, you know, or Pee-wee's um, Big Adventure, you know, when, uh, has anyone seen it recently? It's like everything goes to the next thing. There's like a, anyway, I thought of the movie that way. Like it's all ticking along like clockwork and then the toast pops up and the thing happens and then the thing that was like the first, okay, this is it, is um, the idea, the moment of Barbie saying, do, 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 you, do you guys ever think about dying? And that just breaks the movie. And that was like, I want to make a movie that's delightful and wonderful, and then I want to break it. And that was, the, that was the thing. And I think it was, it was sort of the same seed. It was this like unlikely thing in the middle of something that was this souffle. And then it was like this moment of consciousness or something. Um, and I could see, and I was like, it has to be fabulous and wonderful, and we have to be in this world, and it has to be so lovely, and then it just has to stop. And um, I would say that was the the seed. And and how visual was the screenplay, and how much of the visual element came after once that you knew that you were going to direct, and that you started developing the the whole thing as a film. I um. It was very, the screenplay was extremely visual f for m me uh, because I can't, I, I don't, I, I mean, maybe it's because I direct the things I write. I can't, it's, it goes together for me. I, it's almost like I can't, once I can, I can only write it if I can see it, I guess, and vice versa. So for me, I I knew what I wanted it to look like and feel like, but I didn't, you know, I don't necessarily write it all into the scripts. I actually, I remember I got to audition once as an actor for the Coen brothers, who I love, and um, I they put, they write all the camera movements into the script, which is, uh, I don't do that, but I was, it's, that's what's fun about being an actor is you get to kind of see how other people are doing it. Um, but it's all the, the what, how I want it to look and feel and be. I know. So I was also, I had this conception of everything being on like sound stages and like it's a musical and it's all very interior and inside and there's no real sun or air or water. It's all constructed. Um, but I realized nobody else knew that that was in my head because then when we started talking about how to do it, people said, oh, you're going to need to shoot in like Australia or Los Angeles so you can shoot on the beach. And I was like, oh, no, no. No, there's no, everything's just, <coughs> we're going to build this all. And then, <laughs> and, then, and then it became like bringing everyone into this kind of giant toy box I wanted to make. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I've, it's always visual at the same time. No, I understand. Now the, what is so great of Barbie is the, is the creation of this world. Mm. Uh, and and how it counterbalanced to the to the real world, but without losing the tone of of the film. Right. You know, it's not yeah. that suddenly you go into 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 uh, uh, neuralism when you cut into into yeah. reality. And uh, so, once that you start putting the film together, who was your first collaborator in that in that in that thing? Who who came first? <sighs> The first collaborator was, um, I knew because I'd worked with her before, Jacqueline Duran, to do costumes. That was the first person I knew I wanted. 
And honestly, I knew I wanted Sarah Greenwood to make the sets, and I knew I wanted Rodrigo to shoot it. And I'd, I'd never worked with either Sarah or Rodrigo before, but I was sure that they were the right people. And um, they all kind of came at once. It was like a, um, I, 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 I kind of willed it into being. Um, and I had a lot of conversations with Jacqueline, Sarah, and Rodrigo early, like over a year before we shot. And then Sarah went away and Jacqueline went away and they made a film. They went made Cyrano and then Rodrigo went away and he made Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, so we had this moment of kind of imagining together and then they went away and then we all came back. And um, and it's, I don't know, it, for, I'd, I'd never worked with either of them, but I, I had this sense, I'd met Rodrigo, I'd always wanted to work with him and I just had this feeling that it was right. And, um, and you know, you, that, that's so much of just gut instinct. And I know you've known him for, for a very long time. And, um, you know, I think he's worked with so many different directors. And I, th I think the thing for me about his work that I was so excited by, and then, I mean, there's many things to love, but there, it's, um, it's always specific to the movie. There's not one thing that you can say, oh, that's his signature, or that's what he does. It's always just about the storytelling of that specific movie, almost to the point where I couldn't necessarily tell you that it's the same person who photographed, you know, Silence or uh, Moros Peros or, you know, any, like all of his movies feel very specific to me. And, um, and we talked about something else a long time ago and I thought... He just is very, um, he obviously very brilliant and skilled, but he also has a way of coming at things from a place of almost innocence, which is exactly the um, the way that I I thought it was correct to come at this. He almost has a childlike here's how we're going to do it excitement of like, well, let's figure this out, and all of the requirements I was trying to figure out how to do, he was excited by them. He wasn't ter terrified that we were, you know, because I wanted everything to be, uh, figure out how every shot would be if we were shooting in like 1957. And so I didn't want to do anything that we wouldn't have been able to achieve in 1957. And we did do a lot of, you know, with Sarah and the art department, we did do all these, we built all these miniatures and we built big sets and small sets and I was like, okay, well, we would have done this like a composite and this is this would be like, you know, if they're driving, we'd do this like rear projection and that would be, that would give us, we'd want to frame it like this so that that's what we could do if we were doing this in 1959. And we're like, okay, that's, that's good. We'll do it like this. So it gave us kind of constraints and it was, it was wonderful how much it was like this sort of, creative blending of like older film techniques with what we're able to do now um, and it was like every challenge that seemed to have no apparent solution were the things that had excited him the most yeah but it, 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 when you're talking about all these sets and the rear projection and stuff uh, because directors will come from different backgrounds mm. You know, and uh, some directors come from a background in which, like, the technical aspect is part of the way of entry. Mm. Uh, with you, you, well, you were trained as a dancer, and then you were an actor, mm. 
and uh, you were writing as well. Mm-hmm. Then you started with your first film was Lady Bird. Yeah. And, uh, but from the get-go, you knew that your ambition was bigger canvas or, or it was just you were taking it as it goes and then kind of discovering in each one. Right. And then where did you get then the technical reassurance to be able to do this? Yeah, well, I don't think I, I definitely didn't, when I started out, I wasn't like, well, I want to make movies on the biggest movies I can. It was, it was sort of one at a time. I think at this point, I, my desire is the ability to tell a story on the size, in the size it needs to be, whether it's big or small. And, um, So in that way, I, I think I've, I've sort of taken on different sized things that, that feel like I'm it's still able to make the thing that matters to me the most. But um, so that, you know, I hope I make movies for a long time. So I want to be able to, to, to explore it different ways. Um, I think, I mean, the technical part of it, it's funny because I started as a, yeah, I was a dancer and then I was really interested in, Um, theater. I was. I wanted to be a playwright, and then I didn't get into playwriting school. Um, and and movies were something that was like a thing that it was. I started making very small, very do-it-yourself movies where the aesthetic was improvisation and um, all hands on deck, and everybody's doing everything all the time, and I'm acting and kind of writing the characters and the scenes and then we're trying it out and then we're editing at night and it, it was like a very f- open sort of wild west it was it felt like anything was possible and I think um it wasn't I mean it was sort of the opposite of like um it, it, it was it, the limitations were so baked into what 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 we were able to achieve and then um And then I was, then I went into, then I kind of found my way back into more specific writing, which I think felt closer to what I wanted to do in the first place. But I definitely had, I think coming from the love of theater and coming from that place, the technical part was actually scary. But I remember I I would seek out directors who had started from theater or, you know, just read, you know, like there's like um, these sort of interviews with different people. And I remember reading one with um, Mike Nichols who had started in comedy and then as a performer and then he he was in theater. And then um, I think it was when he was shooting Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which was his first movie. And he had an idea of what the shot should be. And he's like, they, you know, they, they come through the door and, and, and then they come toward, they, he wanted to be one long shot as they fight into the kitchen And he said, he said to the DP, well, how is the door not going to hit the camera? And the DP was like, do you not know about lenses? And he was like, Matt, I don't know anything about lenses. He was like, cancel your plans for the weekend. We're just going to sit here and we're going to go all over all of this. And, you know, Mike Nichols is great. You know, he's made great movies. And he started with this kind of like, he didn't, he came at it from a different place and was guided. And I, I and I honestly... All of the everything that's technical, it's something that I've felt that everyone will tell you if you don't know and you ask. And that actually has proven totally true. And also, someone said this to me even recently because I was 
trying to figure out a technical thing that I don't understand yet. And they said, just make it directable <laughs> for you. If it doesn't make sense to you, don't do it. Uh, well, why would you? Because, you know, with, it was, a, to be honest, with someone, we were talking about, like, how would you use pre-visualization? And they were like, but, no. If, in, unless you understand it. If you don't understand it, this is useless to you. And they were like, and I think that that's sort of that asking questions and being present to what you don't know. And then also being aware of if it doesn't make sense to you, it's going to look like gobbledygook on the screen because it doesn't mean anything to you. And I think I've also chosen collaborators like Rodrigo when I didn't understand something and he he was able to take the time and, and really explain it to me because, I mean, in Barbie we shot, I mean, we were doing these things where I was trying to recreate some sense of like, you know, I, we were doing all these builds and I wanted everything tactile, but then also we were, of course, using visual effects. I mean, it's 2023 and... I'd never done anything like shoot on a volume stage before. I didn't know the advantage. Like, I didn't under... And we took the time with everyone who worked on the volume, and Rodrigo was explaining, and he was... And it was like... All of this technology is developing so quickly anyway that if you're... Almost everyone is a beginner in some ways, unless you, it's you. And then I remember... I asked David. He told me, because you worked with David, and I said... I was like worried about the visual effects and David said, he said, well, I'll do a terrible accent. No, I won't. That's, but he said, it was, uh, he said, Alfonso is very clever about visual effects. And I was like, well, in what way? And he said, well, he's just very clever about it. And I was like, well, wh what do you mean? And he started telling me about the way you'd make it mm, imperfect enough that it felt, you know, if you were going to do something and how... And then he was explaining about how you you invented the way you were doing gravity, which I know you just spoke about uh, recently. And I think hearing about people inventing things, hearing about just the kind of intuition about people doing it, it sort of demystifies what's scary about the technical aspects. I don't know if that was your question, but that's... No, but, but, but this thing of the technical, because in many ways the technical is stuff that you're learning one day. Mm. You know, it's... It uh, I think that the because obviously Barbie is impressive in all the technical in, in all the te technical aspects of uh, of it. But I think it's even more impressive from the other stuff. Maybe I should not say that the, the word technical is is what I call the language. Mm. You know, the language as a filmmaker is. Uh, you were saying the example of of of, of Nichols. Mm. Nichols, as you say, was coming from comedy. And, uh, and stage, but very soon he, he understood and started developing his own language. If you see by the time he was doing Catch-22, mm. he was already playing with ellipses, silences, uh, kind of fantasies, dreams, mm. in a more avant-garde kind of way. Mm -hmm. and, and it's the same thing like the big leap in terms, in terms of the ambitions of a language, mm. that you go from Lady Bird mm. to Little Women mm -hmm. to this one in which suddenly you, you take a completely different approach with the camera that is not technical, it's, it's language. It's, it has to do with, with how, it, it's, it's how 
the drive of the film is going to work. Mm. Yeah, no, that's I. Yes, it, it it does feel like each time I felt with Lady Bird and then Little Women and then this one. Um, I don't know even that to chart it upwards is correctly. It's more that it just it is more steeped in the language. And I've always felt actually because I'm a writer and because I came from theater where the rhythm the rhythm is the language that is that is creating the rhythm and in cinema the rhythm is a million things it's it's it can be the language but it's also the cuts which you don't have in uh in theater and i always felt visually it's this is kind of jumping around but insofar as it's a language the movie that i first understood that cinema was its own language was um When I saw, oh, thank you. Look at this. You're pouring it out. Service. Perfect, full service. Yeah. Um, but the movie I first saw that I understood cinema as a language, I didn't, I came to movies late. I came to movies not until I was like 18. I was living in New York and I, there were, I've suddenly had access to like repertory houses, like f film forum and anthology film archives and the Museum of Moving Image. And there was a video store in New York up by my college called Kim's. And it was organized by director. And I actually, shamefully, hadn't really thought that much about directors. It's as a thing. I, I watch movies the way I think a lot of people watch movies. I, I was looking at actors I liked, you know. And, and then I realized, I was like, you like this director. What you're looking at is the director. And I think the first person I realized that with was Robert Altman. And I was like, you like this guy's thing. This is, you know, and and then, but I had a very key memory of seeing Claire, uh, Claire Denis' movie, Beau Travail, and I was like, it's a language. I see, it's a language. This is creating, I don't know, it just sort of clicked for me as, um, as it having its own sentences and words and grammar that are, you know, beyond actual words, and... Um, I've always felt as a filmmaker, and I still feel as a filmmaker, I feel that I've gotten more confident in taking risks within the language, but I've always felt that I've... Personally, I feel... I think that there are people who have cinematic language just in them. Mm -hmm. They just have it. They just know it right away, and they know it, and they can feel it on a set. And I've always felt like I'm slightly in translation, but I don't think that that's a terrible thing for the form because I think sometimes in translation you can stumble into something beautiful because it wasn't just there for you uh, natively uh, somehow. I disagree. I, think, I mean, as a, as a, as a viewer, it, from Lady Bear it was very clear that that you had a, a clear grasp on, on the language and how you like it, the, how, how you wanted to use the cinematic time. Mm. The time in cinema, how the story flows, mm. how to allow, because it's interesting, Lady Bird, because it's, mm. you could say it's a realistic film in the sense that it's real sets, the acting is naturalistic, but nevertheless, the way that you use your, 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 your concept of time mm. just gives the whole film a different quality. That's yeah. It, it's funny because it doesn't feel naturalistic to me. No, no, it feels not, all the elements are. Yeah, that, that is the weird thing yeah. of the film. It feels um, very. I mean, when I think about it, it feels um, heightened and sort of surreal. And in a way, I think when I saw um, 
the way that Amarcord feels like childhood, even though it couldn't have happened that way, is what it felt like. There was something that I was trying, I felt a sort of connection with that, of that sort of heightenedness and stillness and sort of ellipsing time and um, tumbling back on itself. And um, yeah, I, that's, thank you. I, 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 what I do know is that I I I love it, so I I I I care to try to make the language coherent, um, and you know, it's um I feel like I'm still delighted when I stumble upon either an old movie or a new movie or something where you just you feel someone working in their their own language and also in the sort of writ large language of cinema it's just like you it's unmissable and it's so exciting and I just feel like this thrill of like they're there it's theirs and it's also all of ours and it's just uh it's just great and that's like you know why when we were writing Barbie I just was like I just want to go back to movies in in a theater and I remember that I mean sitting in a movie theater I also remember them better when I see them collectively I mean I could watch them at home obviously but it doesn't go in the same way uh, for me anyway no question about it but you was talking about Kim's we know (laughs) Kim's yes um and you mentioned you 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 gave only two references. That's very interesting because you said Altman and and Jack Demi. Uh, yes. Oh. Demi, obviously, everybody has been yeah. talked about because the umbrella such as book that clearly, yeah. uh, I mean, there's yeah. like a wink in yeah. the eye to to yeah. that film in many ways. But some a film that nobody has mentioned that kind of I I find it mm. kind of relative to. Is Almond's, uh, I think it's underrated, not his best, but it's underrated, is Popeye. Oh, yeah, no, pa- yes, I love Popeye. Yeah, no, I think about Popeye all the time. Um, you're right. Um, and, and actually, we, we, like, no one and I have talked about Popeye a lot. You're totally correct. Because it has that stra- all these strange builds in the strange interior world and... You know, in in some ways, it was like Popeye is both like the benchmark and also the thing we were like, oh no, what if it's Popeye? Um, <laughs> which is you know both. Particularly the but, first the first half of the film. Yes, and I yes. think this whole thing that you're talking about of Pee Wee, I think that yeah. Tim Burton took it from the beginning Popeye. of Popeye. Yes, I think that's true, and I love the beginning of Pee Wee because of that. No, I love those. I mean, like, yeah, that that movie Popeye is so great, and it has. It, I mean. I, I understand why maybe it didn't connect totally at the time, but I think it's a it deserves a rewatch. I I completely agree with you, and because the uh, that's extremely well spotted. I'm so impressed. Nobody has said well, that yet. Well, you just mentioned Altman, and it's kind <laughs> yes. of like a, an obvious yeah. an obvious thing. Yeah, uh, because this this whole thing that you're talking about language that there pretty much directors I there, and there are very good directors that are very good servicing material, mm. you know? And there are other ones that they have their universe and the world. The technical aspect, I think, that uh, good is, is a good thing that David Heyman hasn't, doesn't know yet. He's still here in the room. Yes, yeah, well, <laughs> I got to say it, is that the, 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 the only way to do visual effects and all of these things that is that you don't know how to do is just to be completely irresponsible 
to lie a lot, a lot. Uh, and 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 yes, and is and it's about being in the tunnel. Being when you're in a director, you're in the tunnel. You you want to do something. You want to achieve something. And of course, you have to bullshit your way through it. <laughs> no, it's true. Yes. And then you have when that's the importance of having great collaborators. Yes, with yes, because maybe someone told me really early the key to everything is just hiring people who are smarter than you, and I was like, they're totally right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, it is that thing of like, I mean, we had so many meetings. We called them um, methodology meetings, mm -hmm. but the real title of the meeting is, meeting was how the fuck are we going to do this? Um, and that was what we were really saying. Like, you want to do what? They go through how many vehicles? Through, what are you what, how are we doing this and then you know coming up with I want to do it like this I want it to be a diorama I want it to be you know and then we're fit, we're looking at different movies we're looking at how they did like the, the, the sea and the ship sails on and like we're like okay we can do it like this with this this thing and the foreground moves this fast and um, but it was just like meeting after meeting of like I, ha I did have an idea of how I wanted to do it but the sort of like the how how are we achieving this was um, it was? I'm curious because that yes. obviously is from La yeah. Nave Ba yeah. uh, of, of Fellini. Yeah, you, you mm -hmm. took the whole thing, but that in many ways that's more achievable because he's the the palette of La Nave Ba is mm -hmm. is, more, is darker, right? And yes. here's super so bright, bright, and then so, so how you how how the heck did you get away with it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it was like um. Th those sets which go by so fast in the movie but it was a, that was like a thing where it was like I mean honestly the brightness of the whole thing was uh, it was something that was permeated every aspect of it but it was a, it was difficult I mean we decided um, you know everyone is perfectly lit all the time a, everyone has a perfect uh, sun uh, hits them just right that, that that that's part of the rules of Barbie land and Rodrigo had seven soft suns all over the stages and he'd move them around and the soft suns would be temperamental and it was like you know but it, it was like a, a way we decided and we actually chose lenses that would not vignette at all because I wanted it sort of to be to the edges and I wanted it to be that kind of like I, I've never I hadn't I didn't, uh, ordinarily I don't, um, I wouldn't, I, I, I love film, but there was something about shooting on the Alexa 65 that felt right to me because it was like, I want it to be too much from end to end all the time. It was like, it, and it was synthetic, which also felt correct for Barbie. Um, but that brightness and that saturation and that everything you're looking at is, has color was hard that was hard it was hard to make the skin everything about it was like a I think um Yvonne who did our color was just it was like every day working on the dailies was you know painful and every single piece of that's not on the screen at any given moment was just covered in gray fabric to try to cut down on it, it was like a giant pink bounce onto everybody's face and Rodrigo would say they look nuclear all the time. You sound trauma. You sound traumatized by pink. <laughs> I <laughs> know. Like, I know. I am. I mean, mostly Rodrigo's traumatized by pink. <laughs> um, he was like, and then you know, every set was just 
you know, it was wonderful, but it was just, it, it was, it, it was just a lot of information and we chose, you know, these, these lenses that didn't vignette and we're shooting this large format and it was like, it, it, it was like, I, my instinct was to go too much with everything. And then there's just a moment where you like, I, you're like, did I go too far? Is it too much? Is it really too far? Um, and then you're like, well, it's too late now. But well, then, because that, that you, okay, we talk about how you build all this world with collaborators and, and pretending that you knew what you were doing and all of that stuff. But <laughs> once that you have that loudness that you're talking about, how do you integrate performances there? <laughs> yeah, uh, it was, I mean, the... <sighs> It was a strange thing I was asking everyone to do, which is that <clears throat> I wanted everyone on the, all the actors to be totally grounded and also totally heightened. I didn't want them to play it for comedy. I wanted them to play it sincerely. And I want, I, I trusted that if they did that, it would be funny. But you know that when I try to tell an actor, you, I want you to be totally grounded and totally heightened. He went to the trailer. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's like that. Yeah. Actors tend to hate that kind of, <laughs> right? That, that, this kind of contradictory kind of direction. Yes. No, I know, I know. That's why I like to have rehearsal because um, then it's almost you know I'm not rehearsing them to to set the performances in any way. I'm rehearsing them so they can get on whatever strange in headspace that I'm in that then they understand, but it's like we're all speaking a language that nobody else knows what it, you know, it's like, it's like this thing that no one else can see. So I try to get them uh, that they feel safe with each other, that they feel safe doing things that feels sort of silly and crazy. And then also that they feel like a company. I think for this, it was extremely important that they feel like a company. And then sort of introducing this idea of like how do you embody something totally contradictory and that they then um, feel comfortable within that. I mean, I'm lucky. I had great people. I had, you know, Ryan in America and Margot, my queen. And um, it was... Who do you rehearse with? Everybody. Oh, oh no. You mean? No, in the, in the film, I mean, you have a huge cast. I should rehearse with everybody. Because I... Um, no, but, but when you're talking rehearsal, you're yeah. talking weeks before the shoot? Uh, yeah. Um, when people are starting to come in, um, we do... One of the advantages of this film was um, they, most of them had to learn the dance, the choreography, which is great because that's a wonderful way for people to hang out because they don't feel totally, they're all great dancers, but they don't, they're not, they don't dance all the time. So there's like a little nervousness around that. So it's like a, it's like a great break the ice thing. They're all going to go to dance rehearsals. So then they're all doing dance rehearsal and then I'm doing sort of group, smaller groups, like I'll do just Margot and Ryan, but then I'll get everyone all together and then we'll block it out and I'll tape, tape out what I think the stage will be and then we do it on the set. Like, it's a, it's like a, it feels like, you know, those sort of Judy Garland, like we're putting on a show type, like it's a barn, let's make a musical. And I kind of like that feeling of like, pretty much everyone who's an actor started out making like, just plays with their brothers or sisters or friends and then they made their parents watch. So like that is in them. 
to do is just to put on a show. Yeah, well, the danger here is, is to go over the top. Yeah, to make, you know, right, to, yes. You know, it's to make yeah. it too loud, too, too, too strident. Yeah, yeah. No, that was, um, it was like a balance we kept finding the whole time. I think, I think I kept, I kept giving Margot and Ryan and everyone, like, books or poems or something to keep, it's like, it's heightened, but it's also real. Like, Ken is really in pain, deeply. He has never been looked at as a person, and that's deeply upsetting. And then they just started taking it so seriously. And, and it's so, it feels wild to talk about it like that, but that was like, we all have to believe this. And I think that's where you kind of cut down on the over-the-topness. I mean, that being said, we definitely had takes where it was like, okay, no, that's too far, that's crazy. Um, and then you bring it back. I, and I understand you, you work a lot with mood boards, right? Y yes. I mean, I'm mostly, I I, I from other movies and from photography and different things, I collect like a magpie, just like this, this is, I like this and this thing and I like take scenes and sequences and um, make these kind of big books and every day there's like references that I want, or, and want not just visual, um, kind of everything I've ever said about a scene. I try to keep that, I have it in a big binder every day and then I look it over and I'm like, oh yes, I wanted to think about this, I wanted to think about that, I have the script pages and then I'm like, okay. And it just reminds me again of what it is. And then I always go to the, when I get to the end of the movie at some point, once a movie's done, I go back and look at the binder. And it's amazing how much of those things <laughs> get into the movie. And uh, do, do you storyboard? Yes, I do. Um, I, this was the first, I storyboarded a little on Little Women with a storyboard artist, but on Lady Bird and on Little Women, I just did my bad draw. You know, I, I just was doing my drawings. Um, and this was the first time I had like a proper storyboard artist who um, was a better artist than I am. But I think it's helpful to make your own little bad drawings because sometimes that's, you know, it it, it forces you to think about it three-dimensionally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, uh, um, but the mood board you, you show to the actors or not really? Um, yeah, sometimes I would. I mean, I actually won... Sorry, I'm like, now I'm pouring this water. This is quite the operation. For you. Look at that. I did it. Um, yeah, I mean, I would show I would show the actors scenes. I would show the actors, like, I, I show, I, I mean, there was like a, a million things like this. There's like, I, I was, a lot of the kind of screwball comedies of like the 30s and 40s, I was showing particularly Margot and Ryan um, in um, The Lady Eve um, with uh, Barbara Stanwyck and Henry Fonda, mm -hmm. there's this great scene where she's sort of hoodwinking him into thinking that she's another person. And anyway, he's going to ask her to marry him. And there's a horse behind him, and the horse keeps sort of trying to be in the shot. And you just see the two of them, they almost can't. They're, they're going to, like, it's like he's trying to be serious with her, and the horse's head just keeps coming in. It's so funny. Look it up. It's 
great. And it's just like his seriousness makes it work. And it's like that. I was like, that's that's the idea. And then there's other things like um, Carol Lombard and John Barrymore in 20th Century when she's she's going to leave and he's so dramatic and he's like, go, go. And he's standing by the window and she's like, what are you going to do? And he's like, don't worry. And he's got like these big eyes and he's like, just leave. And it was very, it's very like Lily Garland. And it's so, it's so big, but you're also, you know, love them. And I, so I would show, I would show different moments of that. And then like with the dance sequence, we were looking at, um, a few different dream ballet sequences. There's like, um, Gold Diggers of 1933, which I was like, I love that set. It's like this very minimalistic step set with all these stairs. And then there's, of course, Singing in the Rain. And then there's, um, you know, like Grease. Um, you know, it's like all these different touch points. And I just feel like the more I bring them into what I want to do, the more they're like, oh, I know what you're talking about. Um, even down to honestly, like, you know, you have to photograph actors for... They posters, you know, and I remember talking to them, and I was like, I love those posters from like the '80s or the '70s or earlier, where it's like the motivation is we're in a poster, <laughs> and I know that sounds so silly, but like, like just sort of like, what are you doing? Being in a poster, like, and I feel like then I don't know then then posters got more like. No, they don't even know the cameras. They're there in a moment, and this now come see this movie. And I've always liked posters that kind of are like, you know, just like I'm here, come see it. You know, I thought that was that was, and I. So in any case, because I was sort of building a language of with them of like, how do we this kind of like we're doing it, and we're telling you we're doing it. That then by the time I'm saying your motivation is you're in a poster, that makes sense. Yeah, but that's that was for the poster. That was for the poster. That that's, true. The poster. that's true. That's yeah. true. That's true. But you know, these are all delicate things. You know, the uh, scene I love is is the battle mm. with all these profiles of the. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Oh. Because is is. It's very strange because it's as if you have zillions of references. I don't know if are conscious or unconscious yes. references. I, some of them are conscious, but some of them might be unconscious. Yeah, yeah but it's very funny because they're all put there together. Yeah. But a completely different universe. Yes, yeah. In, is, is, is in this bright pink Uh, but but it, but but the iconography is, is pretty much very similar to to many of the of the reference that you use. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean it was everything from um, you know when they were walking on the they're they're kind of gathering. Um, it was like the warriors, you know. I was like yeah. like that, and it was a sort of arrival on the beach. And then uh, we were shooting it. I can't remember what the shutter speed was, but it was it was to give it kind of that quality. But then um, we were having um, then we made the decision. Rodrigo and I were like, because we wanted Ryan to be singing, and then we, he was sing, he was in regular motion, and I wanted everybody else in slow motion. And Rodrigo was like, I think you just have to make them move in fake slow motion. And then we, so we shot the whole thing the whole day of them like pretending to be in slow motion, and I I just. At some point in the day, it was like, you know, we were like eight or ten hours in, and I was like, 
what if this is terrible? Uh, and now they've all shot. Now we've got all this footage of them in pretending to be in slow motion, which I don't even know what we're. What are we doing? Like this is, and then and then sort of there's a moment when they go in fast motion, but it was like, this is what we're doing. And then we even had Ryan because because I panicked about it at some point. Then I had Ryan sing double time and have. Yes, and I had, so I was like, well, let's do the shot, because it was like a big shot that came in, and then I found his face, and I was like, well, let's do it where Ryan sings double time, and everyone else moves in normal speed, and we'll slow him down, and that happened, um, and there's a footage of him somewhere going like, you know, um, I'm just kidding, everywhere else I'll be a ten. and like, he's doing it just like that, and I'm like, I'm like, what? Either way is weird, but let's see which one actually is the less weird one. And I don't, I, I, we use, we use he's singing normal and everybody else pretending to move slow motion. Um, but yeah, you know, stuff like that where you're like, ooh, well, say we've done it. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about, being irresponsible. It's irresponsible, yeah. totally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and no, nobody noticed, right? No, no. No, 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 yeah. no, no. You had great ideas and you were just <laughs> doing them and you knew technically everything was under control. Yes, I was like, I'm a technical master, stand out of my way. <laughs> no, no, I was like, I was like, Rodrigo, what are we doing? He's like, I think you're doing it this way. <laughs> yeah, the, now, when do you start working on the music? The music, well, some of the music we had going into it because we had, we knew the, um, uh, I was, I knew I wanted, I knew I wanted a lot of music in the movie and I knew I wanted it to be sort of like a pop musical fantasia. That, that felt very much part of it. I was, you know, I mean, I obviously like, I love musicals and, um, you know, pop music but being utilized for music musical purposes was fun so I brought in um, Mark Ronson and his uh, partner Andrew Wyatt who started working on a song that became the Dua Lipa song and I was like I want it to be disco and I knew I was like dis like a disco like a hard as nails disco song um I love disco I think disco is extremely hopeful Um, because it assumes that what people want is to dance. And that's a really hopeful belief for a musical genre to have. That, like, I know. And I thought, I watched, um, the, there was a documentary about the Bee Gees, which I really enjoyed, and I was very touched by, and I love the Bee Gees. And there was, so, there was a section where, um, you know, punk starts coming in, and then people have all these, like, disco sucks things, and then the Bee Gees are just like, oh, what happened? I've, I thought everybody liked to dance. And they're like, no, we don't. <laughs> and I just feel really like this sadness. And then they were like, yes, we'll go away then. Um, and, and then I just feel, I love the Bee Gees anyway. And I, and I did actually reach out to the Bee Gees, um, I, Barry Gibb. Um, and I was like, Barry, please. <laughs> and it, it didn't work out. But, uh, but I was, I, I felt like it was worth trying. And um, so Mark had that. So he wrote the kind of the base of what became the Dua Lipa song. And then I feel like Dua Lipa is very like much a modern dance music disco 
queen. Like that's her, and she's um, so great. And so then she came on board to do it. And then while they were working on that, then he had started writing, and just he and Andrew were messing around, and they started writing, I'm just Ken. And they sent me a very rudimentary piece of it. And then I thought, oh, this is terrific. And then now can you make it 11 minutes long? And they were like... Oh my god! And then they did, they did, and it was so great. And then we sort of built. Why eleven? Well, I just knew I wanted it to play over many scenes. Um, I always like that in musicals, where sometimes it's in it's in, it can be on stage musicals too, um, but in movie musicals. But it's like where you know a song starts, but it's a song that like a lot of story happens through, and it's like you know they sing the first part of the song, and then and then they go to the next part, and they're and they're like they're like get me Chicago, and then you go to Chicago, the song's still playing, they're still playing, and then like they come in, they're singing the song, and then somebody else, and they're like and now go back to Boston, and then you're in the other part of the stage, and I'm imagining like right now I'm imagining like kids who are 13 in bad productions of like some some play, but I love I love songs that go through like multiple story points and then they come back with the conclusion of the song mm. and I was like wow well, that I want that and so that's what I had I was going for and we had all of that and then it just became clear that it was going to be it was going to hold a lot of music and um and then pretty much as soon as we were in the edit we started talking about like okay we need to start talking to artists and getting a lot of a lot of really specific songs and then it was just Honestly, it was just, it was the most exciting thing because I don't make music. So it was showing artists little bits of the movie or and then talking to them and then they, they go away and then they write these incredible songs. And it was, um, it was, a, it was like getting these gifts. Uh, it was fabulous. Do you play music in your set? Uh, I do play music on the set, but I... I feel like there was so much musicality in this one. I played less. Do you play music on a set? No, but Never. I have a lot of friends that they play music all the time. Yeah, I feel like this one, there was a lot of music baked into it. But on a day-to-day -day thing, I feel like what I like to do sometimes is like choose a song for a moment or a thing, and, and, and then I'll play that, and then I cut it off. My problem is if there's too much music... I can get sort of distracted. That happens, yeah. 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 So I, I, as much as I love the music, I, 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 what we would do is we do a dance warm up on set and. Every day you did a dance warm up. A lot of days we did dance warm up. And I do it with everyone. So would Rodrigo. We'd all do the dance warm up. Rodrigo as well. Oh, I've got footage of him dancing in the dance warm-up. Yeah. yeah. It's good rhythm. I've yeah. seen him playing drums. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's great. And he would do, and the, you know, the grips and everyone would get out there and stretch, and it was great. And you would choreograph the whole thing? Or? Uh, the, our choreographer, Jenny White, she would um, lead us all in, in dance warm-ups. And it was, it was wonderful. It was like a way to kind of come together and embrace this ridiculous thing we were doing. Okay, that... At the end of this, she's going to do one with you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll do, uh, everybody get up and, yeah. Okay, so now, uh, it was, I'm sure it was like a completely weird experience seeing the reaction that, that, that your film had, right? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was amazing. I mean, there's so many things. Obviously, you have hopes for your movies, but then the, it was something... Uh, 
I think the thing that I most think about with it is the everyone wearing pink. That that was something that I didn't couldn't have anticipated. It was so amazing, and I live in New York City, and the weekend it opened, so many people wearing pink everywhere, and I just I was like, no one told them to do this. They just did it. What, what amazing, and it was uh, it was kind of you know the the most wonderful thing. Um, it felt like everyone was in the same uh, joyful club. Yeah, the um, uh, something I was going to ask you about uh, uh, that had to do with oh yes 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 um, oh, missed. <laughs> we wait. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So the um, when you when you were writing the screenplay early on, mm-hmm. I mean you already knew your elements. You knew more or less. You you already had the idea of. When we talk about that, you knew that you were going to direct this. Yeah, once I had the screenplay, once I was like pretty far in, I knew I, once I thought the screenplay was good, mm-hmm. then I was like, I want. But to then at this. that point, uh, Margot was she she how was she approached you? Said, why don't you want? Why don't you direct this? Or how did it happen? No, I had to ask her if I could direct it um, because I, when I gave her the script, then I said. Because I was only meant to write it at first, and I was like, I, th- I, it was sort of like that moment. I don't know. It's like deciding to date or something. And I was like, Are you seeing other people? No, I'm not. Um, and so, you know, I, I was like, Well, I'd like to tell you my intentions, and um, <laughs> and and then she was like, I was ner- I was, ner- I don't know. You know, you don't know what people want to do, and. She was like, "No, good. Yes, you can direct it." And I was like, "Oh, great!" So, um, it it kind of was a happy moment that. Um, and then she's so humble. She said, "Because I was like, we're writing this for you. Like, I know you, you're." And um, she said, "Oh, if if you want someone else to play this part, they can." I was like, "What are you talking about?" She said that to you. Yes, she's mentioned it. She mentioned it a lot. Like, was trying to bail out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she was like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna put someone else on Popeye." <laughs> um, no, she, she was, you, you know, she's as a producer and as an actor, she's very, uh, honestly, egoless. She doesn't. She's not driven by ego. Um, uh, it's actually, you can't even really compliment her, which is difficult. Um, Because you're like, well, this will be a nice little thing for your ego. She's like, well, if I don't have one, it goes nowhere. Um, <laughs> um, the only thing she likes is um, is uh, f- like constructive, critical feedback. Um, she almost does. If you say like, oh, that's so great, she's like, and then, but what's the problem? And she'll she wants to hone in on that problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so and and uh, and and Ryan. Ryan is like the he and I, I. I felt like he. It was so funny. I felt like actually he understood right away what it should be, and he knew we. T- the first time we talked, he said um, he said something so specific. He said um, when he talked about the scene where he's Ken is looking at Mar- Ryan, Barbie, and says um, 
you know, it's you know, it's it's Barbie's, it's Ken's Mojo Jojo Casa House, not Barbie's Mojo Jojo Casa House, right? And he said, there's a stage direction that says um, something about. I think originally it said something like, you know, he's his voice is rueful or something. And he said, I don't think that's that's right. I think he has a tear in his eye. And I was like, you're right. He has a tear in his eye because it almost hurts him to say it. It was like we, and that was like our first conversation. I'd sent him the script. I didn't know him at all. Like no one I had written his name into the script. And he just instantly, I don't know, there's certain actors or collaborators, collaborators that instantly, it's almost like they know the joke right away. And then you're ta speaking the same language just instantly. And it was like that with Ryan. And then it, it carried through the whole thing. And every, and he was so, um, you know, the costume choices and what it became. And then we both discovered we loved Sly Stallone and that sort of like the idea of like an adorned, the adorned man with his minks. And like, and that we were like texting back, back and forth pictures of Sly. And we were like, this, no man has ever looked more handsome than, than this moment. And, he, and like, it was just like, we, we, it, it was like, um, yeah, it's like discovering that the inside joke you thought you had with no one, you have with someone else. And it's Ryan Gosling. <laughs> now, um, how was the moment in which Warner Brothers read the screenplay and realized that the evil was Mattel? <laughs> no. I, mean, I mean, I think what the truth is, and this wasn't just a line, it was like, there is no bad baddie like it's there's no like that that kind of very stupid <laughs> i always thought of him as like a, like a golden retriever of just like i mean like the, the the first line you hear him say is like what do you think of after sparkle female empowerment and i was like that's great that's exactly who this guy is it's like a it's like totally well-meaning and like um hilarious in that um but i i think the I think at first Warner Brothers and Mattel, I think everyone was like, no, you can't do it. And I said, and I did have, the, I, that was one thing. I mean, Margot and David and Tom, and as I started getting collaborators, everybody saying like, no, we want to make this version was extremely helpful. But I also had the advantage of like, I really was like, I don't need to make a Barbie movie. I want to make this one. And if you don't want to make it, that's fine. I don't need to make just anything. And that was a, and I, I meant it. And that's important. It's important to mean that. You can't fake that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that was, it was just, I was sure about what it was. And, um, and I also was okay if they didn't want to do it. Um, but I, I am. I and then they, you know, they were like, well... I, I don't, I honestly, I don't know. I, I, uh, David, Margo, Courtney Valenti, who was executive there, I think they, she convinced everyone. And and then um, Inan, who's actually the CEO of Mattel, he gave me total faith. He j just said, I believe in you, and I think this is great, and I am fine with all these jokes, and go ahead. Uh, he really did. It was tr true. And, um... I don't, I don't know what inspired that, but I am very grateful that it happened. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Applause, please. Bravo. Bravo.
This podcast was recorded at a Directors UK member event. You can hear plenty more directors in conversation by subscribing on the usual streaming platforms. Follow us on social media and find out more about us at directors.uk.com. <laughs>